Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. My name is Ryan. And I'm Rosie. How are you doing, Rosie? I'm good. I got stung by a bee today. Oh, yeah. But I'm okay. We have a wasp's nest to take care of. And that one's been taken care of. This is a different one. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm sorry you got stung. That's all right. Well, before we get into the review for the week, we want to thank our two new patrons, Lacey and Molly. Yay! Thank, thank you, you both guys. so much. We really appreciate you. Hope you're enjoying Patreon. Which reminds me, we are going to be releasing our house tour very soon. Yeah! That will be our next Patreon release. Indeed. We finally got the thing we were waiting for. <laughs> it's just something to go on the wall. I just, like, I couldn't handle giving a house tour without what I needed on the wall. Yeah, there's a very large blank space before, so... Well, should we read the review? Yes. For the week? It's entitled, Keeps Getting Better. It says, I've listened to podcasts for 20 years. When I first started listening to these two, my first impression was that they lacked confidence and had no experience. I believe I was right. Yes. were. (laughs) However, their compassion for the victims and their respect for each other was evident, and that is what kept me listening. Fast forward to the present, and I look forward to every episode. They've gained confidence that they needed, yet they stay very humble. Their respect for each other is amazing. They truly love one another. I love hearing the kitty sounds in the background. This podcast is simple. Two people who care about others, telling stories to bring awareness and shed light on what these victims go through. They are sensitive to the fact that some of the subject matter is hard to hear. Thanks for what you do and keep up the good work, guys. Thank you. Mrs. Anderson. 731, who I believe to be a teacher. She just sounds very, like, she knows. Supportive. Yeah, and and very good at writing. (laughs) Wow. Thank you so much. That's, like, one of the best reviews that I can think of. We've had some super nice ones. It it means a lot that she kept listening, even though we weren't very polished at first. Still not. But... Mm -hmm. 20-year podcast listener, that's an OG of podcasts. Like, that's right when podcasts I know, started. Right? I didn't even know that they were around 20 years ago. I think, yeah, like 2000 is when they first started doing <laughs> podcasts. I really appreciated this review because at the same time we got a one-star that said, I sound like a small child learning how to read. And it's oh, yeah, that's right. me out. Yeah, we got a couple one-stars in a row. <laughs> so <laughs> we're like, oh, no, we've, we've, we're done. Yeah, let's keep these uh, five-star flowing. No, but that happens. We get some bad ones, but the good ones are so good that it 
totally makes up for it. Yeah. Because that was such a thoughtful review. It was. So nice. So thank you. Was it Miss Anderson? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. All right. This episode of Voice of the Victim podcast is supported by Best Fiends. Now, there's a whole lot going on right now, and sometimes it's just nice to escape to another world and play a fun game on your phone. You've heard us talk about Best Fiends before. It's a fun app-based puzzle game that helps us unwind after talking about these difficult topics. And Best Fiends takes you to the world of Minutia, where you can play a game that's both very casual and engaging at the same time. And Rosie is an expert at Best Fiends. What oh, level are you on now? Stop now. Well, today I actually got to level 300. Wow. Thank you. It's been a long journey. Sometimes I'll get into this frenzy where all I can do is play Best Fiends, so I just have to beat that level. It's nice. so exhilarating. It's a fun game. I think that this game is super fun, and it's super relaxing, and the best part is that I don't have to be connected to Wi-Fi to play it. In addition to the different levels that you can play, there's also side challenges. I love these little mini challenges because you have the cute little characters, and they're like in this theme, and right now I've got this little blue guy, blue bell bug. Oh, what's a blue bell bug? It looks like a little dragonfly. Aw, yeah. cute. Right now I'm on flower challenge number four. I've got some good rewards. On top of all this, the game is really nice to look at. It features lots of bright colors and cute characters, and it never gets old because they update the game every month mm -hmm. with new levels and events like Rosie was just talking about. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. This episode of Voice of the Victim podcast is sponsored by Podcorn. Rosie and I are very passionate about the things that we talk about on the show, but it does take a lot of time and energy to make. Right. The sponsors help us be able to work less at our other jobs and spend more time making the show the best it can be. But... We had no idea where to begin finding sponsors, but thankfully, the awesome people over at Podcorn have helped us out a lot with that. Podcorn is a simple and easy to use marketplace that connects podcasters directly to amazing sponsorship opportunities. There's no middleman, so podcasters can choose what their specific rate is and collaborate directly with brands. Personally, I prefer when ad breaks don't change the tone of the episode, and that's why I love being able to do host-read ads. You don't need to give up creative control or rights to your podcast to use Podcorn, and the people that work there are always willing to help and work with you to make the process painless. They actually secure the funds before we even start working on the ads, and then make sure we get them when we're done and the ad is approved. So it's a win-win for both people. The Marketplace mission of Podcorn is to give podcasters transparency transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when they monetize their hard work. And we know podcasters work hard. So if you're a podcaster of any size, click the link in our show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing opportunities to find your own sponsors. Well, this week's story was brought to our attention by one of our listeners and actually a past guest on the podcast, Liz. Liz. Whose story we shared way back in episode 29. Feels like such a long time ago. It was. So thank you for that, Liz. We really appreciate it. This one is absolutely terrifying thinking about what the heck could possibly be going on at Fort Hood to make any of this possible in the first place. It's similar to the Lavina Johnson case, which Gen Y has done a great job covering in episode 260. But 
this whole thing just exasperates me and I could go on and on, but I don't want to get carried away right now before we tell the story. So, mm-hmm. Rosie, who are we talking about tonight? Well, tonight we're sharing the story of Vanessa Guillen. I've heard the name pronounced Guillen, like, you know, Spanish with the two L's. But Vanessa's sister, Myra, pronounced it Guillen. So, I know pronunciation is important to a lot of people. Just wanted to clear that up. Vanessa was born on September 30th, 1999 to Rogelio and Gloria Guillen. They grew up in Houston, Texas, and she had five other siblings. And her oldest sister was Myra, and youngest sister is Lupe. Um, But that's all I could find as far as siblings' names. When Vanessa was 10 years old, she would play with her brother's toy pistol and tell her mother that she wanted to defend her homeland. Yeah, so she had early dreams of joining the army. Wow. Um... But her family describes her as a very loving and caring person. Like, she genuinely wanted to defend her homeland. She was the kind of person that makes you feel good to be around her, you know? They say she's very supportive to her friends and loved ones. So just, you know, a special person. She was very intelligent, always staying on top of her schoolwork and getting great marks on her work. She also loved to play soccer and took care of herself physically, going on runs nearly every day. Vanessa participated in volunteer work, helping out her community as much as she could. She's, like, super nice. I know. Great person. Accomplishes a lot more than I do. Eventually, Vanessa started dating a man named Juan Cruz. By all accounts, Juan and Vanessa's relationship was really good. Vanessa attended Cesar E. Chavez High School, where she played on the varsity soccer team. She graduated in 2018 at the top 15% of her class. And soon after graduation, she joined the U.S. Army in June of 2018. Yeah, and she was born in 1999, so she was only uh, 19. Uh, Wait, what month was she born? Oh, no, she was only 18 when she joined, like, as soon as she possibly could. Like, right after graduation, I'm guessing. But, man, 1999, she was, she's a baby, Yeah, she's like one year older than my brother. Two years. Wow. Crazy. As a private, first starting out, she was deployed from Texas and stationed at a base in South Carolina. After this, she was moved to a base in Virginia. So she was halfway across the country from her family, which made it really difficult for her to see them. And she was close to her family, so, you know, this wasn't great for them. But... They were thrilled when they heard the news that she was transferring to the Fort Hood Army Base, which was only three hours away from her family. Oh yeah, it's totally doable. On the job, Vanessa trained as a small arms and artillery repairer, otherwise known as a 91F. So basically, she was responsible for making sure the weapons in the armory were working properly, which is a pretty awesome job. Mm-hmm. Vanessa was very excited and passionate about the work that she was doing. It had been a dream of hers since childhood. But shortly after her transfer to Fort Hood, her family started to notice a change in Vanessa's demeanor. She wasn't her usual bright and bubbly self, and they felt that something was bothering her. As of July 1st, 2020, Vanessa had graduated from the rank of private first class to a specialist. But this was not a celebratory event for her like it should have been. Vanessa Guillen 
had actually been missing since April 22nd, 2020. So now we're going to take it back to April 22nd and discuss what was known about her disappearance and the experience that her family, friends, and boyfriend had. Hmm. On April 22nd, because of COVID-19, Vanessa was not scheduled to work, but she got called in. She texted her boyfriend to let him know that she had to go to work, but she texted him back as soon as she could. Then she went into the armory in her plain clothes, not in uniform because of the special circumstances. Vanessa's sister, Myra, texted her that day around noon, but her texts weren't going through. Yeah, she must have been getting those little message cannot be delivered notifications, you know? Mm-hmm. Myra tried to call her several times after this, but it went straight to voicemail. Which was very out of the ordinary for this time of day. Vanessa wouldn't just turn her phone off in the middle of the day. No. And even more odd was the fact that she was literally always texting with her loved ones between her boyfriend, her sister, and her mom. She never went very long without responding because she had close relationships with all of them. Right. I mean, nobody turns their phone off anymore. Right. And our phones are always, like, in our hand. <laughs> Especially on a day where she got called in last minute. She wasn't planning on working. Right. So, after several hours passed without hearing back from her sister and being unable to reach her by calling, Myra felt something was really off. She decided to call Vanessa's staff sergeant to ask about her sister. And the staff sergeant, it's like a supervisor. You know, they keep track of the attendance for the squad. They told Myra that no one had seen Vanessa since 1 p.m. that day, but that the check-in curfew was 10 p.m., so they expected her to be back by then. So, yeah, that was an hour and a half after she called. So that kind of put her at ease, like, you know, maybe she's just out. But, unfortunately, that time came and went, and she never showed up. After hearing this, the Gielan family took immediate action and started spreading the news of their missing loved one on social media, starting Facebook groups, and even distributing flyers to get as many eyes as possible to look for Vanessa. Yeah, so they were really on top of it, you know. As soon as there was any suspicion, they were working hard to figure out what happened. Yeah, they sound like a really loving and supportive family who are genuinely concerned, even though it had only been a day. Mm-hmm. But whatever happened is in an army base, which means it's pretty secure and right. hard to get in there. So we're going to go over the official details of her disappearance that day. But to set the stage first, the Fort Hood Army Base is absolutely massive. It's approximately 340 square miles in size wow. and has around 40,000 soldiers. But there are no surveillance cameras. What? So can you imagine? No, that seems really bizarre. I know. That is one thing I can't really get over. But they say... Um, even though they don't have surveillance cameras, they say it's expected that soldiers follow a quote-unquote code of honor, <laughs> you know, living up to their morality they're supposed to have. Well, aren't we all supposed to live up to well, quote-unquote yeah, code of honor? Right, because, you know, everywhere else has surveillance cameras. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's not a great place to go missing. Also, at this time, there were special protocol measures in place um, because of COVID-19, and among these were that only one of the four gates of the base were in operation at the time, so there was only one gate to go in and out of the base. They also 
had ID cards running through an automated scanner instead of manually checking them like usual. And also no visitors were allowed in the base during this time. So it was pretty secure, you'd think. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a 10 p.m. to 5.30 a.m. curfew every day. Okay. So these were like the special uh, COVID-19 rules. Well, Vanessa was last seen around 1 p.m. on April 22nd in the parking lot of the Regimental Engineer Squadron HQ of the 3rd Cavalry Regiment, which was her unit. She was wearing a black shirt and purple fitness pants. And as we mentioned, you know, she went in not in uniform, so that's what she was wearing. After she was missing, some of her personal items were found inside the armory where she worked. This included her car keys, her ID card, her debit card, and the keys to her barracks. So right away, it's not looking good. You know, these are not items you leave behind, ever. So at first, authorities wondered if she had just wandered off by her own free will. But if she were to just wander off, why would she leave any of these items there? Right. You know? Also, the fact that she had been talking to her family. She was actively planning for the future. She was just talking to her sister about buying a new car for her birthday and she was, you know, talking to her boyfriend about their future and maintaining a good relationship with her family. So these aren't exactly indicators of wanting to run away from her life. No. I mean, she seemed like such a happy, happy-go-lucky person. Like, yeah. Ready, had a mission, wanted to fulfill it, mm-hmm. was there for a reason. Yeah, very driven. Right. So right away, with this evidence, it's an indication of foul play. Her car was also still parked on the base, but her cell phone was never found, which Mm. felt very suspicious to the family because um, there were also some details the family knew about that came out, things that Vanessa had told them before she disappeared. Not long after transferring to Fort Hood, her family started to notice that Vanessa wasn't her typical cheerful self. It was obvious that something was off with her. Vanessa had texted her sister Myra, opening up to her about some of the difficulties that she was having. She said she didn't like her new assignment at Fort Hood and told Myra that hopefully someday she'd be able to open up about what was bothering her. So that's concerning, knowing that she wasn't enjoying her time in the Army anymore and not feeling comfortable talking about it Mm -hmm. at the time. Like, that's sad and scary. But there was another thing that Vanessa brought up when she was on the phone with her mom just three weeks before she disappeared. According to Gloria Gielen, her daughter had told her that she was being stalked and sexually harassed by an army sergeant. She told her mother that she was scared to report him because she had talked to other female soldiers at the base who had reported being sexually assaulted but had not been believed and were subject to the humiliation of being considered a false accuser. Gloria tried to figure out who her daughter's stalker was so she could report him herself. But Vanessa wouldn't tell her what the name was, probably fearing that the report would be traced back to her and harm her career. She was also worried that if she said anything, she could put her family in danger. So she told her mother that she would, quote, put a stop to it herself which would be terrifying to hear as a mother, like, you want to help. 
So these details are painting a scary picture of what could have really happened. And according to her family, Vanessa was struggling with this new assignment, you know, living in misery of being harassed, and then the fear of the repercussions of reporting it. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't having a good time there. The family felt like they were alienated from the investigation and were being kept in the dark. So several weeks passed since they had heard from Vanessa, and the base wasn't really letting them know what was going on. Oh my gosh. And How even, is that okay? Yeah, they, they were frustrated. But even more frustrating is that they wouldn't allow the family or anyone working for the family to search the base. You know, can you imagine having a loved one missing and being barred from helping to search for them? Like, there must have been so many sleepless nights mm-hmm. and just an overall feeling of helplessness. The family were growing frustrated with the lack of movement and the lack of permission to search. So they organized their own search with 60 of Vanessa's friends and family on May 30th, 2020 in Miller Springs Park in Temple, Texas. They chose this particular spot because it was a huge area they wanted to be able to cross off the list of possibilities that they actually had access to. But unfortunately, despite the best efforts of dozens of people passionate about finding Vanessa, they weren't able to find any clues leading to her. I would imagine that these people were searching very thoroughly because they're all, they love Vanessa, Mm -hmm. they want to find her. It's not like searching for someone you've never met. But there's another really interesting tip that I thought we should share. Keeping in mind the conversation that Gloria, Vanessa's mother, had with her daughter about the sexual harassment allegations, Gloria also says she had gotten an anonymous call after her daughter went missing from a man who said that he was a sergeant at Fort Hood. He said he couldn't share his identity because he'd be putting himself at risk of death by sharing the information he was about to share with her. So Gloria said that this so-called sergeant told her that Vanessa was kidnapped on the Fort Hood base and was being kept underground in secret tunnels beneath the fort. Oh my gosh. He also told her that Vanessa was not the only woman being kept in the tunnels. Whoa. That's insane to me. Yeah, it's a pretty heavy tip. And I looked it up, and there actually are tunnels underneath Fort Hood. They were secret for many years, and just in 2016, they finally went public, and there were video tours of them on CBS channel uh, KHOU11 in Houston. But in the videos, the tunnels were being used for training, so it didn't seem like any kind of trafficking or sketchy stuff was going on down there. I'm sure it never is going to seem like it. Yeah, but like we mentioned, Fort Hood is 340 square miles, so there could be a lot more tunnels that the public doesn't know about. Hmm. But we'll talk more about it later. Now let's get back to the official story. On June 13th, after nearly two months of Vanessa being missing and the family getting no answers or permission to search, hundreds of people gathered outside the gates of Fort Hood to peacefully protest the lack of information being shared with the family. Over six weeks had passed without authorities coming out with any theories about what they thought had happened to Vanessa, and they didn't even speak to the family. 
Yeah, it seems like they weren't really taking this seriously, at least to the family. It felt that way. And it's something that should have been a huge deal, you know? Expedited search. Like, this should have been the top priority at Fort Hood when someone's missing. Mm -hmm. But that's why it seems like this is such a long time to give no updates to the family. It's, I, I'm kind of baffled that yeah. they went almost two months without anything. A lot of people are. On June 23rd, the officials from the Army investigation finally met with the family to update them. And then there was a press conference. At the conference, Vanessa's mother, Gloria, spoke, begging for justice. Yeah, and this video is so sad. Like, even though she's speaking Spanish and I don't know what she's saying, her pain is so obvious and it's heartbreaking. And then after she spoke, she broke down in tears and just sat behind the podium, just sobbing and had to be consoled. It was just really sobering, showing the reality of the situation for the family and how much pain mm -hmm. they're going through with this investigation. So I think it's really important to always remember this aspect of these stories we're talking about because people are really heavily affected emotionally and just in so many ways. And Gloria was absolutely destroyed and she was also disgusted with the way the army was handling it. Mm -hmm. Gloria made it clear that she didn't trust the investigators at Fort Hood. She apparently said, quote, If my daughter appears dead, close the space immediately. I want her alive for the love of God. I need my daughter with me and she is my life. That's why I'm fighting until they bring her back and the people who are responsible pay. Investigate from the top to the bottom. Everyone is responsible. Yeah, and uh, this is a translation, but the words still show how how much she just wants to get answers and how little cooperation she's gotten. But at the same press conference here, Myra, her oldest sister, expressed frustration over the fact that it took over six weeks for them to say anything to the family. Mm-hmm. Because to the family, they're like, have you even been doing anything? Right, that's what I would think, too. And Myra just said she really hopes that they're actually taking the family seriously. Around this time, the CID finally released information about what they had been doing for over these two months. So, what we're about to talk about, at least they were actually investigating... But they should have been keeping the family up to date, and I totally understand their frustration for being kept in the dark all this time. Right, because they still could have been making this up, but mm -hmm. we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, we'll try. The day after her disappearance, on April 23rd, she was reported as missing to the CID, which was like the Army's FBI. Then the next day, they issued a BOLO, or Be on the Lookout Advisory, to all local law enforcement. That day, on the 24th, the official search finally began, with 500 soldiers assigned to look for Vanessa. But all their attention was focused on the inside of the base. And the CID was not able to find any evidence that Vanessa was sexually assaulted, but they did believe foul play was involved in her disappearance long before they ever told the family that, hmm. you know, which they should have done right away so the family knew 
Okay, they're working on it. But at first, the investigation was all contained inside the base, and then they began conducting interviews. According to the CID, they conducted over 300 interviews and spent over 10,000 hours investigating the disappearance. But they weren't updating the family, who were frantic and desperate to find out where their daughter and sister was. They pulled Vanessa's phone records and found that her last outgoing text message was to the number of a fellow soldier, Specialist Aaron David Robinson. He was a 20-year-old man from Chicago who had joined the Army back in 2017 and was trained as a combat engineer. He was interviewed to see if he knew anything, and he said that he'd texted Vanessa to let her know he was in the arms room. He said she read some serial numbers for equipment, and then he gave her a paperwork for a point. 5-0 caliber, is that how you say that? 50 caliber, I think. 50 caliber machine gun. Gun numbers are weird. They are, I don't really understand them. They gave her paperwork for a 50 caliber machine gun which needed repair. Then he says she left the arms room with the paperwork, which she should have brought to the motor pool. So they spoke to witnesses at the motor pool who were expecting her to show up with this paperwork, but they said she never arrived with the papers. So, apparently, Aaron Robinson was the last person to have seen Vanessa. So, naturally, suspicion fell on him and what his activities were the day Vanessa went missing. Mm -hmm. They interviewed him again on April 28th about his whereabouts on the 22nd. He told them that after he finished work that day, he left and went to his off-post residence where he lived with his girlfriend, 22-year-old Cicely Aguilar. He said he was there all night except for a short time around 6.30 p.m., where he had to visit the base to use a government computer to enroll in training. And because they don't have any real surveillance in the base, they kind of just had to take his word for it. And yep, that code of honor, mm-hmm. right? And then, at this time, the investigation hit a roadblock. Because, you know, I guess, okay then, he said what he was doing. We can't verify it with surveillance until May 18th of 2020, almost a month later, where two anonymous witnesses were interviewed. Hmm. They told investigators that they'd seen Aaron Robinson on April 22nd, having a tough time wheeling a heavy box out of the arms room where Vanessa worked and where he had admitted to interacting with her. They watched him struggle to load it into his vehicle, and then he drove away. So that's suspicious as heck. Like we mentioned in the Carol Baskin case, typically if someone exhibits strange activity around the same time something strange happens, they most likely had something to do with it. Um, But again, this is just based off the testimony of two random people. And again, there's no camera surveillance evidence to actually prove this. I mean... Maybe these witnesses had something to do with her disappearance and then mm-hmm. heard that he was the last person to see her and saw a perfect opportunity to focus the blame on someone else. Maybe they were part of covering up the activity in the tunnels. I'm just trying to see all the possibilities here, but I'll take off my conspiracy hat till the end. <laughs> okay. On May 19th, Aaron Robinson was asked if he consented to a search of his phone records, and he consented. They found that throughout the day of April 22nd, Aaron Robinson and his girlfriend Cicely had exchanged several phone calls back and forth. Which, 
I would think is normal for a couple, but there was an anomaly on this particular day. The calls sprawled out as late as 3.30 a.m. the next morning of April 23rd. Well, they are dating. But they're also living in the same house. Oh, yeah. So they decided to interview Cecily about this, but somehow it took until June 19th to get her in for an interview. June 19th? That wasn't even that long ago. Oh, an entire month after getting the phone records. Yeah. What? Why is everything taking so long? That's what the family wants to know. Mm. Well, they asked her the question that we're all wondering. Why was Aaron calling her so much when he claimed that he had been home with her the entire night? But she had an answer for that, of course. Of course. Cicely told them that she couldn't find her phone and he was calling it to help her find it. Short and sweet. I guess that clears them then, right? Hmm. Mm, well, no. <laughs> According to the phone records, the length of the calls were too long to just be simply letting it ring and try to find it and then hanging up. After this, she did a re-interview where she came clean and said that she had lied during her previous statement. So now you think she's going to tell investigators what really happened, but what did she lie about? Well, she says she lied about being home all night. She said that she actually had left her residence that night because um, one of the ways she copes with all the crap going on in her life is by going on long drives. Why would you lie about that? That's so dumb. I know. And it also doesn't change the fact that she was with Aaron because right. she also said, uh, well, I'll let you share that. She stated that she took a long drive with Aaron to a park in Belton, Texas where they looked at the stars together, and then they went home. So... This still doesn't make sense, though. Yeah, it still doesn't explain the phone records. You know, why would they be calling each other if they're together? Looking at the stars. But yeah, it just... Something's not adding up here. Right. Investigators looked at the location data of Robinson's cell phone and found that it was, in fact, located in Belton, Texas at 1.59 a.m., April 23rd, or the night of the 22nd. More specifically, it was tracked to a bridge on the Leon River, where it remained for two hours, moving northward along the Leon River. Sicily's location was also analyzed later, and they found the same location patterns, indicating that they were together, walking along the shore of the Leon River in Belton. So... Specifically, it was where FM 436 crosses over the Leon River near Fort Griffin, just southeast of Belton. And I had to look it up, but FM stands for Farm to Market Road. I guess it's a Texas thing. On June 21st, 2020, the CID searched this area along with the Bell County Sheriff's Office and Texas Rangers. And they made a remarkable discovery that seemed like it should have lined up with the story those witnesses had told about Aaron loading a large plastic box into his car. In the area where the phones had pinged, the searchers found a spot of recently disturbed soil where there had been a fire. They found charred remains of what appeared to be a plastic tote, like the one described by the anonymous witnesses. Underneath the burn site, the soil was much softer and more moist than the surrounding soil just feet away. But despite all of those different agencies finding this spot, digging into it and searching it, no remains were found. So 
seems like they just hit another dead end here in a spot that seemed like it was so promising. But they dug into it and found nothing, so it's a huge bummer. But just over a week later, there was another discovery, and this next part's really disturbing. So we'll try to keep it as non-graphic as possible, but some of these details are important to just understanding how terrible this is. On June 30th, at about 1 p.m., some contractors were doing work on a fence adjacent to the Leon River in Belton when they came across what appeared to be human remains. They reported it, and soon the CID, FBI, Sheriff's Office, U.S. Marshal, and the Texas Rangers were all on the scene. This time, they searched the area and found human remains, which appeared to have been covered in concrete and buried. So, this isn't what you want to find. Until this point, you know, you hope that you'll find Vanessa alive, but now things aren't looking good. And what's even more terrifying is that the remains were in such terrible condition that they couldn't be identified on the spot. They couldn't even be identified by medical or dental records. They actually had to be shipped to the Dover Air Force Base in Delaware to be identified, I'm guessing by DNA. But sadly, on July 5th, they were able to verify that it was Vanessa. And I just felt it was important to share this to try to understand how horrible her final moments were mm-hmm. and what she had to endure after already living in fear and misery because of the way she was treated. But later, on the night of the discovery, Cecily Aguilar was interviewed again for more details. At 8.30 p.m. on the night of June 30th, Cicely admitted that her boyfriend, Aaron Robinson, called her on April 22nd to say that he'd struck a female soldier. Again, this part is really disturbing, um, but it's something Vanessa had to experience, which is so awful to think about, but be warned, this is absolutely Mm -hmm. awful. He struck her several times in the head with a hammer until she was dead. Then, he placed her in a heavy-duty plastic tote and loaded it into his car. Sometime late that evening, Cicely says that Aaron picked her up at the gas station where she worked and drove with her to a spot at the Leon River. Which is the spot we mentioned earlier, where their phones were pinged and then where the remains were found. The two of them parked at the site, then got out and walked along the river. He led her to a plastic box with wheels and handles, which he'd already dropped off at the site. He opened it up and showed her what was inside. And we all know what it was. Absolutely horrible. But can you imagine your boyfriend driving you out to this, a pretty spot, you know? It would be kind of romantic if you were just going to the river to walk, but then he shows you this? I mean, she, so she didn't know. No. It, I mean, she, he told her that he hit someone, but I don't know if she knew what she was going to see. Oh, my gosh. I, so, I, she must have been terrified. Like, what is he going to do to me? Yeah, well, we'll get to that. But at this point, you know, it must have been shocking. After he showed her, he asked her to help him dismember the body and attempted to burn the remains. But it wouldn't burn completely, 
so they dug three separate holes to place them in, then covered the holes. On April 26th, they returned to the site with hairnets, gloves, and bags of powdered concrete. They took the remains out again and tried to burn them further, along with their gloves and hairnets, then put them back in the shallow graves and poured concrete over them. I don't even know what to say here. It just makes me feel sick. And I didn't really want to share all these details, but, I mean, this explains why it was so hard to find them. I guess the burn site they found during that search on May 21st was probably not right next to these three shallow graves. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I still think it's really weird that they found all that, but then gave up on searching before finding these graves. Like, right, I this do is too. a huge clue. Search the area better. But their excuse was they theorized that an animal had dug them up between that first search and when the fence workers called. But mm. who knows? When Aaron and Cicely got home that night, they burned the clothes that they were wearing and came up with a story about taking a long drive to the park as an alibi. You'd think that they would have executed executed this alibi better because at first they said they were home all night. And that was on the 28th when he was first interviewed. He said he was home all night. And they went back the second time on the 26th and came up with their alibi. So you'd think that he would have been more consistent. It's just so dumb because changing your alibi is even more suspicious than having a bad one. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. Because they did end up changing the alibi right in the middle. Um, But I think we can rule out what I said earlier about someone trying to pin this on Aaron Robinson. Because his phone did ping along with Cecily Aguilar's phone on both the night and morning of the 22nd and 23rd. As well as um, the 26th when they returned. And if that wasn't enough proof, Aaron's behavior the day Vanessa's remains were found also says a lot. Being the only suspect, Aaron Robinson had been on a form of army house arrest, which meant being confined to his barracks during the investigation. But on the night of June 30th, he absconded or ran away from Fort Hood. So obviously it wasn't a very secure house arrest. I'm realizing there's a lot of things that aren't very secure about this fort. Yeah. That night, law enforcement tried to trap him into a confession by setting up a controlled phone call from Cecily to Aaron. But in the call, he denied everything they did. But later, he texted pictures of the news articles to Cecily, which talked about the discovery of the human remains. So, even though this first call didn't work, he had texted these pictures, obviously showing that he's very stressed out about this, or at least interested in it. But then they tried another call, and it seems like Aaron was a bit more panicked and kind of had his guard down this time. He said to Cicely, Baby, they found pieces. They found pieces. So obviously, he's stressed out about this getting solved. You know, it doesn't sound like an innocent person's reaction. No, no one does not. Aaron Robinson continued to run from law enforcement but Cecily helped them locate him on July 1st, traveling on foot in Colleen, Texas. They approached him when they found him, but 
as they did, another shocking thing happened that would end up stealing justice from Vanessa and her family. Aaron pulled out a pistol and shot himself in the head, dying immediately. So that says a lot. I did not see that coming. I know. That says a lot in itself. I mean, like the Reina Merkin case. Not to spoil it if you haven't heard it, but yeah, I think that kind of, that's a huge piece of evidence that he was guilty, if you ask me. But although Cecily Aguilar assisted um, with the investigation as much as she did, she had still committed a pretty terrible crime. And now she was the only shot at holding someone accountable in this situation, you know? Sure. So she was arrested by Texas Rangers and held at the Bell County Jail. On July 2nd, they said that they planned to transfer her to federal custody as she was being charged by the U.S. Attorney's Office for conspiracy to tamper with evidence. Now, she did a horrible thing in helping him here, you know? But like you mentioned earlier, and just what I'm thinking now, I can't help but feel a little pity for Cecily Aguilar because she was blindsided by this whole thing and probably feared what Aaron would do to her if she didn't help. Because, you know, she's out there in the middle of the night. She's the only person with him and the only person who knows what he did. So if she did tell him that she didn't want to help him and showed that she disagreed with his actions, then suddenly she's a threat to him and might end up right there with Vanessa. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of implied that earlier. Mm -hmm. And that said... I definitely believe that she should have reported it right away as soon as she was safe away from Aaron, you know? So by keeping a secret for two months, she became a lot more guilty for what she did. You know, that's just my opinion. Right. Um, I'd, I'd feel more pity for her if she told the truth right away. What do you think, Rosie? Well, I, I think it's really easy for us to be like, she deserves it. Like, I can't believe what she did. But if I put myself in her shoes and I'm being picked up by my boyfriend who I love and I'm excited to see and he brings me to the river in the dark and then shows me this, like, put yourself in that position. Like, you're all of a sudden feeling like you could be next, right? Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, she deserves to be um, in trouble. Like, she did something wrong and she didn't tell the police right away. But I also feel really bad because I'm sure she was terrified and had her own her own mess going on in her head. Right. Well, and she's in this relationship with this guy she just found out is a murderer. Because think about it. What could the motive possibly have been besides he was probably trying to, you know, sexually assault her mm-hmm. and she resisted him and he got mad or something like that. Like, why? You don't just randomly go smash someone's head in with a hammer. Right. No, I'm sure it was sexually charged. Yeah. Like, it makes you think that this is the guy that she was talking to her mom about, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and he wanted to cover it up. Something like that. But I don't know. I don't know if it was him, because we'll talk about it a little more later, why it might not have been him. Who mm-hmm. she was talking about, but still, like Cecily in this situation, she didn't know that she was dating a murderer 
until now she's she's got to be taking in so much new information and going through so much in her head right in this at this time um but earlier we discussed the phone call that Gloria got about the tunnels do you think there's any substantial anything substantial within those claims well the tunnels the idea of these tunnels kind of freaked me out to be honest with you mm -hmm. I mean I've looked up way too many YouTube videos about tunnels, and, yeah. like, there's never anything good in these underground tunnels. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think it's something that's impossible. No, I don't either. You know? I wouldn't... I would completely believe it. I'd have a hard time not believing anything bad was happening. If it's that much of a secret until 2016, was it? Yeah. Where they just started talking about the tunnels? Mm -hmm. Then I'm pretty sure that some shady activity has happened there well i mean look at how this happened on the base apparently there's not much law enforcement there mm -hmm. like they're basically policing themselves and they're able to get away with crazy things unless someone on the outside is making noise about it right so it's really it's scary to see that this could even happen it seems like they really need to um take a fresh look at this fort and make some new mm -hmm. fixes. I think a lot of people agree with you because there are protests going on about that, like reforming or even just shutting the space down. I mean, come on. If you're not going to have security cameras for the security of the people living there and working there, I just... Right. Yeah, the idea of having an honor code is great, but rarely do people always follow such codes unless they know that there's a little camera in the corner mm -hmm. watching well and this isn't the first like just within this past year in 2019 one person has had gone missing and i don't think that's solved yet and then another person had filmed himself raping <sighs> a fellow soldier and is facing charges so like this fort has a lot of bad stuff going on going on in it yeah it needs surveillance that's what i'm gonna say yeah but this case appears to be fully solved but because of the phone call gloria got i just want to put on my conspiracy theory hat for one second is that okay with you go for it all right what if it was all a setup to frame aaron robinson for the disappearance of vanessa when she had actually just been in the tunnels the whole time because they didn't find her on the first search. I mean, the investigation was contained to Fort Hood for over six weeks. Those witnesses didn't talk about seeing Aaron until almost a month later, you know, and they're anonymous. And there's no actual surveillance there. So could this have all been an elaborate plan to make people forget the fact that sexual harassment isn't being dealt with properly at Fort Hood. They hmm. can just blame it on the one bad apple who's already dead instead of inviting a larger investigation. And why didn't they find her body the first time they searched that spot with all those people? Was she in the tunnels? We don't really know. Other thing is, Vanessa told her mom that a sergeant was sexually harassing and stalking her but Aaron Robinson was only a specialist, which is two ranks lower than a sergeant. So is her sexual harasser still walking free because now she can't talk? 
I don't know. But her family is demanding answers and more investigation into how the heck this could have even happened on an army base. Mm -hmm. I think that's about it for my theory. I could really see her being sexually abused by the sergeant and also this guy. Mm -hmm. Maybe it just happened like a couple days after she called and fest coincidence. Told her mom, you know, coincidence. So I don't know. I'm sure if there was a sergeant involved, then yeah, he's he got off free. Hmm. Which is also really messed up, and why I'm gonna double down on the fact that they need surveillance there. You know, soldiers aren't above the law, and everywhere else has surveillance. Also, this is not a first-time thing. You know, there are plenty of situations in the past that should have made them think, we should get surveillance. You know, maybe Vanessa would still be alive if they had surveillance, which is really sad to think about. But because they don't have it, we have to trust the official story based on the case that they built and the testimony of the girlfriend of the killer who's also dead. But you mentioned an interesting point. If this is all a conspiracy, why would... Why would Cecily take all this on? Right. That's a good question. Unless she was threatened, like, was scared out of her mind and okay with going to jail. I just don't see... But she probably, she might be getting a payout under the table and a good deal, like... Do a year in prison, and then we'll pay you $5 million or something. I don't know. That's a really deep conspiracy, and it's just completely... We have no idea. It's just a theory I came up with that might be explainable with all these circumstances surrounding it, mm -hmm. taking into account that phone call. But on the other hand, there's also the very plausible possibility that some conspiracy theorist heard Vanessa was missing looked into Fort Hood and stumbled upon the videos of the tunnels and this idea was born, you know? The caller did remain anonymous, so that's, there's that. We can't verify who it was or what they said. But can't know for sure either way. True. But I'll stop ranting about this now. What do you guys think happened? I mean, there's an official story and you know it's undeniable, the proof they have. Mm -hmm. But before we end... I just want to say again, you know, I've kind of been on this crazy, wacky rant, but the most important thing to remember is that Vanessa's family is going through such a rough time right now. And I know I've seen that they've mentioned it's good to have some closure, but it's also got to be unbelievably painful. Right. Vanessa's family told Time Magazine that just 10 years ago, Vanessa was a 10-year-old playing with her brother's toy guns and dreaming of defending her country. She wanted to help and to serve, but the system she was so passionate about chewed her up and spit her out. It's so unfair and evil that this type of thing could even be possible within an area that's supposed to be so secure. Yeah. And I did reach out to Vanessa's sister, Myra, trying to get more of a family perspective on this, but I know she's going through so much right now and also trying to seek justice for what happened, so I don't know if or when she'll get back to us but if any of Vanessa's family does hear this please know you're always welcome to reach out to us if there's anything you'd like to share with our audience you know we won't edit you or put time constraints on you we'll just let you talk and same goes to any family of people we've discussed 
on the show, you know. Mm-hmm. We want to hear that perspective. So, whew, that's a scary case. Yeah, I'm, I just can't imagine being the family in for that long, having no answers and just like the frustration that they must have felt. I know. And this is such a fresh case, like literally last week. Yeah. It got solved, like not even. So thank you, Liz, for reaching out to us and sharing this with us because it's kind of been on our radar. Otherwise, I don't know if I would have found it on my own. Yeah. But that's another thing. If you see any cases you want us to follow, please share them with us because we really appreciate your recommendations and Mm -hmm. it helps us find interesting cases that need to be heard like this. So, all right. Well, if this is your first time here, we are, of course, on Instagram at VOV Podcasts and Facebook, Voice of the Victim Support System, and Twitter and all that. (laughs) Do you have anything else to say, Rosie? Oh, let's see here. It's a hot week. Yeah. It's very humid in old old Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah, even (sighs) we went up all the way to Grand Marais, which is only like less than an hour from Canada. And it was still hot. It was still hot. Still like 90 degrees. <laughs> but fun. Mm-hmm. Very fun. So beautiful up there. But yeah, hopefully it'll stay hot so we can go swimming. Yeah, I'm psyched. I'm ready. I love the summer life, but the humidity has been a real Yeah, that's the killer. Crazy situation. Hello, Zook. <laughs> yeah, sorry if there was any weird noises at the beginning. If there were any weird noises. Sorry about the grammar. Um, Burrito was literally just pacing back and forth on my desk and then (laughs) smacking his tail on the desk to, like, make as much of a disruption as possible. He really is, like, a little naughty kid. Yeah, because I've been working in the office all day, haven't heard a peep. All of a sudden, we're recording, and he's in here just chatting away. Yeah. That's just the way it goes. I love him, though. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. And unless you have anything else to say, Rosie? If you are interested in becoming a patron... (laughs) Patron? (laughs) If you are interested in becoming a patron, we encourage you to check it out. The patrons are our robot patrons. (laughs) We've got some cool videos. We're going to have a house tour. Not tonight, though, because... We have one cool video. Well, I wouldn't say cool. We have one video so far. Yep. There's going to be more. It really depends on how I'm feeling about myself. It's true. (laughs) So catch me on a good day. Maybe we'll have one out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.